This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, flamethrowers. Today, I am joined by Scarlett Harris, author of the new book, A Diva Was a Female Version of a Wrestler. It's impossible for me to say that title and not say it like it's a Beyonce lyric. That's the idea. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, and this book is an abbreviated history of the world wrestling entertainment, WWE. Um, and I was so thrilled to see this book because I have so many questions to ask Scarlett about wrestling. So, Scarlett, welcome to Burn It All Down. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited that we could do this. Absolutely. Now, the first thing I want to ask you, um, you know, I'm so thrilled to see that you've taken the time and energy to do this. And I know that there's many fans out there who follow WWE or other kind of wrestling platforms. And then there's lay people like me that have like, mostly I would say everything filtered through an entertainment lens. And what I mean by that is you know, love glow, watch fighting with family and surprisingly liked it and then watched it like 15,000 more times. Um, and thinking about that, like a lot of the, a lot of the notions that I have of wrestling, specifically women's stories in wrestling comes from these like Hollywood treatments of it. So I wanted to start by asking you if you would to connect the dots for us who might not watch wrestling um, or or know much about it. If people have only thought of wrestling through glow or through fighting with the family, like what, how much of that feels applicable to the sport as you know it? And if there's other things that you need to give people, what are the biggest things that you want people to know about wrestling especially when it comes to women wrestlers if you were to distill that down to a few things that we need to know before we dive into this conversation yeah well I'm really glad you brought up the sort of pop cultural representations of wrestling lately because they are all centered on women or at least they were up until like you know the premiere of Young Rock um, a few weeks ago. Um, they were all um, about women, whether that's Glow, um, Fighting with My Family, Total Divas, Total Bellas, um, etc. So I think that's really interesting um, and somewhat of a contrast to the way women's wrestling is presented in WWE which um, starting about five years ago, they sort of underwent a women's evolution. Um, you know, that was mostly started by fans um, on social media, wanting um, women wrestlers to get more time, more character development um, and more of the show dedicated to them. Um, but then, of course, as WWE is want to do, um, they kind of, you know, appropriated that and, and sort of made it their own marketing campaign of what we now know as the women's 
Human's evolution. Um, and that's sort of been a stop-start effort. Um, we see things like the first women's uh, main event of WrestleMania a couple of years ago with Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Um, and then something as recent as a few weeks ago, which was the second women's main event of WrestleMania and the first ever main event featuring all black wrestlers, uh, which was between Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair. So there's positive things like that. But um, as I kind of detail in the book, which is um, – it's a cultural criticism. It's a collection of essays, um, but it's loosely um, chronological. So we sort of start, you know, 50 years ago with uh, the fabulous Moolah and, you know, go through like the Attitude Era, which is sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, which probably a lot of um, people immediately think of when they think of wrestling. You know, that's kind of... Um, see it into our memories from childhood um, and then, you know, up until today. And so um, as far as women's wrestling has come, which is still not far enough in my opinion, um, there's still a lot of things that, you know, have gone on behind the scenes or even in front of the camera um, that, you know, women's wrestling is is not taken as seriously as men's wrestling or as it should be. Yeah. And I think that that's a really fascinating juxtaposition that you, you know, pointed out that some of the pop culture representations that we have far outshine or, you know, symbolically kind of are, are more visible than actual women wrestlers in the sport now. And that, that kind of juxtaposition is really interesting because it really, um, outlines one of the central things that you talk about, which is the erasure and invisibility of women's wrestling historically. Um, and so you you obviously have Diva in the title and you talk about the hashtag Give Divas a Chance, which was a fan-led social media movement um, about five, six years ago that was um, in response to the short amount of time, right, that, that WWE was giving to women's wrestlers in, in the ring. So um, can you talk a little bit about that invisibility and, and that erasure? And um, I know that you talk about this evolution and it's changing, but um, is there still a disparity between the time that women wrestlers get both in terms of sponsorships, but in, in storylines and narratives and, it, you know, where are the gaps still? Yeah, there definitely is. Um, you mentioned sponsorships, I guess. Like wrestling is different from most sports in that it's not really a sport at all, right? It's sports entertainment. <laughs> so it's it's athletes, but it's scripted um, athletic competition, right? So I don't watch any other sports. So that, you know, that's kind of my blind spot. I'm not super familiar with um other women's sports and the roles that sponsorship play in them. But I will point out that, um, you know, recently sort of because WWE wrestlers are independent contractors, right? They're freelancers, but they sign contracts with WWE that pretty much allows them to only work for WWE, even though they're not classified as employees, which is, you know, a whole other kettle of fish. And 
Um, so in terms of, you know, sponsorships and, and, and working with other companies, you know, there was, um, a bit of a furor, um, maybe six months ago or so, um, with the pandemic, obviously, um, wrestlers are not able to travel. Um, they're not able to, um, you know, sell merch at live shows and things like that, which is like a large part of where their revenue comes from. Um, you know, a lot of wrestlers were were doing um, were monetizing like Twitch streams and um, OnlyFans and things like that. And WWE like actually stepped in and were like, "No, like you cannot make money through third parties," um, which you know was a was a whole kind of labor dispute. I think it was perhaps even covered on um, John Oliver, yeah, and it was picked up by the mainstream media. So I think that um, is an important thing to note um, and just sort of highlights how differently women's wrestling um, is perhaps different from uh, women's sports more broadly. But back to your original question, which was about invisibility of women in wrestling, I think sort of we're at a, a point right now where the the representation of women and the, the amount of time they get on WWE programming, which is they have um, four weekly shows um, amounting to like about seven hours um, of weekly programming um, across the week. Um, and, you know, I, I don't have the stats right now, but there are other people who are actually um, tracking the the time devoted to women's wrestling um, on TV. And I think, you know, we're almost at a point, uh, or at least we were a couple of months ago, where it was at that dire kind of give divas a chance moment, which, as you mentioned, um, was the the hashtag that that fans kind of um, created on social media um, in response to like a 30, 30 second um, tag team match, which isn't really even enough time to get a tag in, right? So yeah, we, we sort of were at that point, like there, we were leading up to WrestleMania, which was um, a few weeks ago. Um, and just all of the sort of storylines leading up to the women's matches were absolutely dismal. Um, like, even though we did get um, Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair. The lead up to that was, you know, absolutely trash and it was involving a man as women's storylines are want to do. And um, Asuka, who is, an, is another champion, um, women's champion in WWE, um, she was basically an afterthought, which actually she often has been throughout her um, tenure in WWE. Um, and she didn't even have a storyline leading up to WrestleMania until about two weeks before. Um, and that was largely because um, one of the wrestlers who she was supposed to be feuding with um, got pregnant um, and had to leave. So mm. um, just a real kind of hodgepodge of um, no real thought or dedication given to the women's division. Um so, yeah, as far as sort of we've come in the last five or six years and and as far as WWE wants to say it's come, um, I don't think uh, there's been a lot of change. And um, as far as, you know, pay equality and things like that, um, you know, we're not really privy to um, a lot of that information. Um, as I'm sure it is across, um, you know, a lot of other industries as well, um, maybe not necessarily um, 
regular sports, but, you know, other industries, entertainment industries and stuff like that. There's just not a lot of transparency about salaries and things like that. But I don't think it's um, unfair to say that women in WWE are still still don't have pay equity. Right. No, you said something that was really interesting about storylines. And, and I mean, I think that's one of the things that's so not baffling, but like frustrating about it is like that people are really writing storylines. And so the lack of care there is, you know, there's nothing else you can say other than it's like just a lack of care. Um, and I wanted to ask you for, for me and for others who might not know, can you just tell us like who writes the storylines? What is the power structure like um, when we say, you know, people don't have storylines or there are flat storylines or, you know, um, men are involved in women's storylines all the time. Who, generally speaking, is controlling and writing these storylines? What is the demographic of of the kind of administrative power of the WWE? Yeah, well, first of all, I just want to say that if this was any other, like, scripted television show, it would have been cancelled a long, long time ago. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's an interesting question and I'm glad you brought it up because um, wrestling fans often joke that WWE is created for an audience of one and that one is Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon. See, I knew that answer. (laughs) I just wanted to basically figure out if my assumption that Vince McMahon is still in like the power seat after all this or if he was like a kind of puppet and I didn't really know the inner workings of wrestling no you would be correct um in Mm. in assuming that he still runs the company um unfortunately and while there is a writer's room um or you know a creative department or whatever um which I believe has like at least one woman in it I'm not sure that it's much more than that. Um, and maybe, you know, a handful of people of color as well. Um, primarily it's, um, you know, straight white men as it has always been. Um, and therein lies the problem, right? There's not that diversity of voices. There's not like people with, um, a variety of experiences being like, Oh, Hey, maybe this storyline is like slightly problematic or maybe we should, you know, Um, devote more time to the women wrestlers or whatever and you know I think that um, there needs to be some kind of accountability like quotas or something like that like you know we need to devote um, this percentage of time to women on tv we need to um, devote this percentage of time to wrestlers of color on tv etc but um, unfortunately even if sort of there are people behind the scenes that are advocating for that. As I mentioned, it's still up to Vince McMahon. So they could be writing like, um, you know, this really cool story, but then at the drop of a hat, he might change his mind. Mm. And then all of this, you know, build up to a certain storyline or feud or whatever is just dropped. And that happens like (laughs) all the time. Wow. Well, well, so, you know, scripted storylines are one thing, but then you have outside of that, like the real stories, the real history that have been kind of left in in the dust. And one of the things I really appreciate about the work you do in this book is you give us, you know, some of that history and you give it to us the way history is, which is complicated and messy, particularly around the story of um, Moolah, who, you know, the fabulous Moolah, who I had known a little bit about, but like watching you lay it out so starkly is just a reminder of some of the really complicated and and terrible history, um, you know, that 
her real life story represents. Um, for people who are less familiar, can you give us like a quick snapshot of a little bit of that history and why it's important to um, tell these kind of complicated histories and, and, and really document the um, history of women wrestlers? Yeah, so um, the first chapter in the book is about the fabulous Mueller and she was, um, you know, um, for a time probably the most famous um, woman wrestler. Um, so she started in like the 50s. Um, you know, if, if you've got any listeners that were watching WWE, like in the 80s and 90s, she was even around then, um, like she wrestled into her 80s. Uh, you know, WWE kind of held her up as this kind of patron saint of women's wrestling for, um, you know, decades. Um, and actually it's a, a funny story and, again, it's, um, you know, indicative of the power of, like, fans and social media and that sort of thing. But a few years ago, 2018, I think it was, um, they WWE um, named a match um, in her honour, so like a memorial match, the Fabulous Moolah Memorial Battle Royal at WrestleMania. And um, fans were like, no, 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 like she's like an alleged sex trafficker. Um, you know, she treated the women that she trained horribly and didn't even train them, resulting in, you know, injuries in the rings and in the ring and things like that. Um, you know, she, she treated some of the black women wrestlers um, under her tutelage um really poorly um and things like that so um you know she stole money from the women that she forced to train under her and who she forced to um you know take the bookings that she wanted and then stole the wages from those bookings she forced them to live on her property um and pay board uh and things like that so um yeah fans were like no we're not having that so um they petitioned snickers the sponsor of wrestlemania to be like do you really want to (laughs) be supporting an event that's that's holding up an alleged sex trafficker um so they ended up just changing it to they ended up calling it the women's battle royal because <laughs> um, apparently there are no other women wrestlers um, in the history of the sport. To celebrate ever, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I guess that kind of leads into like the rest of my book and like what I've really tried to do because like, you know, women in wrestling, they they are kind of, they just fall by the wayside a lot of the time. Like, um, you know, people like China, um, mm-hmm. people like Sunny, um, people like Ashley Mazzaro, all of whom I write about in the book, um, you know, there's not a lot of support for wrestlers after they retire, both men and women. But, you know, there's so many more men, so there's more sort of stories um, about them for as many that kind of, you know, fall by the wayside and and we just, you know, are lost to, to history. Um, so I really tried to, um, you know, find out about the ones that, that are out there um, and highlight them in the book. And I think, um, you know, there's uh, sort of what we were saying before about like the pop cultural representations of women's wrestling. Um, You know, there has been some stories of, of past women wrestlers highlighted recently. Like there's the, the vice documentary series, dark side of the ring. Um, Fabulous Muller was a subject of uh, one of the episodes in the first season. Um, But, you know, I think there's probably only been about two episodes that have focused on women in the three-season run. Um, The the third season is just about to come out. I've had some screeners of that. 
Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit indeed.com slash blue wire to start hiring today. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire. That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yep, can report there's no stories about women uh, in that season either. Um, so, yeah, you know, I just tried to grasp onto the the women that we do know and kind of, um, you know, I wanted to use the fabulous Moolah as kind of a framework to discuss those women that she, um, you know, used and abused and and who have, yeah, sort of fallen out of history. Um, I didn't want to kind of um, give her all of the spotlight, but I wanted to kind of use her as, as a way into these other women's stories. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit betterhelp.com burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com burn. That's betterhelp.com B-U-R-N.
when I think about divas and when I think about these dresses, one of the things I think about, of course, is their uniforms and their or their outfits or, you know, I see them as like really hyper feminized in a way where like crowds are, are going wild and and um, they're like really leaning into sexuality. And I'm wondering how that works for wrestlers who um, uh, present in more masculine ways, who perhaps are, are there non-binary wrestlers? Are there people who are pushing um, the gender spectrum within the sport? Is there is there a blueprint for being in women's wrestling that allows for different expression of femininity or sexuality? And, and um, what limits are placed on on the way you can be a diva in the ring. Yeah, um, I guess for the purposes of WWE, um, which obviously my book focuses on, and there are, you know, there's independent women's wrestling, there's other companies that are um, on TV that are doing things differently to a certain extent. Um, But, yeah, just for the purposes of this, I'll focus on WWE. Um, But, yeah, there are no openly non-binary or transgender wrestlers in WWE um, to, you know, public knowledge at the moment. You know, historically women's wrestling has been, like, hyper-feminine for a time women's wrestling was um, bra and panties matches, which is where you strip your opponent, like the, th- the first person to strip their opponent down to her underwear wins. Uh, but we all win, right? Because, mm. you know, wrestling is for that catered to the male gaze. Um, and that was, that was very much like that attitude era that we kind of grew up on, right? So it's like kind of a miracle that I'm like as interested in women's wrestling and like, you know, equality for women in in wrestling, having kind of grown up and been indoctrinated into that um, kind of way of thinking. Um, Look, obviously women's wrestling now is still, wrestling in general is an appearance-based medium, right? So, um, you know, it's always going to be about how you look. Um, so there are still plenty of like sexy women's wrestlers who are catering to the male gaze. Like there's a chapter in the book, um, called hair, body, face. And it's all about this. It's about, you know, how women use their, um, appearances, um, to tell a story. Um, and I think in terms of wrestling gear, um, so the outfits that they wear in the ring, you know, I think there has been a move towards more, you know, functional kind of utilitarian gear that, you know, holds you in where you need to be held in, but still, you know, highlights the parts of the your body that people need to see from, you know, like the, the top of the rafters to see the, the moves being executed um, in the ring, right? But uh, women's wrestlers who might present, um, you know, in a more kind of masculine way, um, and I write about in that chapter, um, about how they're using their hair to do that. So um, one of the wrestlers that kind of came to mind is Becky Lynch, who calls herself the man, uh, because, you know, a couple of years ago she reached the pinnacle of the industry, uh, which, you know, has historically been like the man, like you're the man of the industry. So she started calling herself that, which I have, you know, um, thoughts about and I write about in the book. Um But, you know, and she kind of, um, you know, started wearing her hair up and I write in the chapter like the whole um, kind of 
aesthetic of like WWE women's wrestlers now is that you have to have, you know, long flowing, usually coloured um, in like, you know, a colour of the rainbow, um, like candy coloured, pink, um, purple, blue, orange, green, etc. cetera, um, you know, full of extensions and things like that, which, you know, in, in a way is another extension, so to speak, of, um, you know, that, that gear that kind of, you know, the hair kind of flowing and whipping back and forth in the ring adds to the spectacle of it. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of, um, you know, openly uh, lesbian wrestlers in WWE who um, they they wear their hair back as well. So I think, you know, that's kind of a way that they're sort of differentiating themselves within the, you know, strict confines of what you have to look like to be a woman wrestler in WWE. And so you're talking about appearance and you, you know, one of the things that was in our Torchbearers a few weeks ago was highlighting that at WrestleMania 37, like you mentioned, Sasha Banks and Bianca Belair became the first black women to um, meet in a championship match. Um, Doric Sam wrote a really great piece for this at uh, The Undefeated that featured, you know, quotes from a lot of um, older retired black women uh, wrestlers like Naomi and, and Jazz. And this uh, quote that Naomi gave to Sam for the article release stuck out to me, which was that this is 37 years in the making. These girls are going out there to do something that's never been done before, to inspire black women in just women, period. These are the things that change the world, change wrestling, break stigmas and stereotypes. It's these moments. And I wanted to ask you about that moment when they're meeting on the ring, when they're breaking this history, and to talk about if there's a kind of playbook for the appearance and the way you lean into femininity and things like that. How has wrestling evolved, especially for women of color? Um, what does it look like demographically? Are we seeing a kind of increase in wrestlers of color? Um, are, like, is this moment between Sasha and Bianca going to be a moment that does all those things Naomi thinks, like ushers in a new kind of branch of this evolution? Um, is there an infrastructure there to continue to have a pipeline of women of color in wrestling? How would you read in race to the status of women in the WWE? Yeah, um, look, I really hope so, but um, as history has told us, um, maybe not. But, you know, I think, like, the fans really responded to that, like, from the moment Bianca Belair won the um, Royal Rumble, which is, um, like, a match of 30 people and the last person standing wins a championship match at WrestleMania, which is how, you know, we got to that point. Um, and as soon as that happened, uh, we were all like, uh, okay, Sasha's the champion, like, this has to be the match. So I, I hope that the positive reactions from fans towards this um, indicates to WWE that that this is, you know, what we want is is more um, representation and more wrestlers of colour in prominent positions. I do think that the past year during the pandemic, the standout wrestlers were wrestlers of colour. Um, so, and, and 
particularly um, women of colour, um, like Sasha Banks, Bailey, Asuka um, and Io Shirai are all women of colour and they pretty much carried WWE through the last year. Um, obviously there are no fans, so um, WWE had to kind of reassess and, you know, I, I would argue that they shouldn't even be um, performing, but that's, you know, another topic for another day. Um, but yeah, it was, it was women of color who kind of carried them through that transition period. Um, there were also, um, a bunch of stables, which is like wrestling speak for like a group of wrestlers of, you know, more than like two or three that consisted of wrestlers of color. There was, um, the hurt business, which was, um, black men. There was, um, Zelina Vega's stable. Um, she's no longer with the company. Um, and, so are some of the people who were in her stable no longer with the company, but that was um, like a Latinx um, group. Um, And then, yeah, as I mentioned, um, sort of all of the women of colour who were shepherding them through that. So I I would like to think that WWE would recognise that, that how valuable wrestlers of colour are in, um, you know, breaking through to... um, you know, diverse viewerships uh, and things like that. But, um, yeah, it's it's still run by, like, an old white man. Right. So, you know, primarily caters to old white men, although, you know, the, the audience is changing. So, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, now you, you mentioned, again, that old <laughs> white man thinking about Vince McMahon. You know, one of the things that I am really wondering, we've seen one of the things that's happened in a lot of other sports that you've had kind of breakout superstars whether it's LeBron James or Megan Rapino, right, um, Sue Bird, like people who have been able to be outspoken and also be the kind of superstar attention getter of their league. Do you see any wrestlers kind of poised to do that? Because one of the things I, I think about is when I think about the top women in wrestling, I, I go to McMahon's you know, relations. I think about Stephanie, I think about Linda, and then that doesn't give me much hope because, you know, I don't know much about Linda McMahon except that she also served in the Trump administration and just her proximity to power and not really doing anything (laughs) for women's equity seems to be, you know, probably a canary in the minefield for like how she might impact the WWE. But I'm wondering if, you know, what has been the kind of leadership role of of the women McMahons in uh, thinking about the WWE in terms of gender issues, but also do you see anybody poised to kind of break out, be the superstar who also takes up the mantle and really tries to continue to shine some light on these issues? Yeah, well, it's funny you mentioned that because I would have said Bianca Belair is that person and it's, um, you know, it's kind of a stroke of a miracle that WWE actually pulled the trigger on her and her popularity and allowed her to, you know, uh, go to the main event of, of WrestleMania and win the championship and kind of, you know, push her as far as they have um, because obviously being a black woman in wrestling is um, – you know, not historically been, uh, you know, an identity that WWE has kind of used as like, a you know, the star of the company or whatever. Um, apart from, I guess, Sasha Banks as well. Um, she's been in The Mandalorian um, and stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm very happy about the fact that WWE has seen the star power of these two black women and actually capitalised on it for once. 
you mentioned Naomi before. I think that she is someone who um, really has that capacity as well. She returned to wrestling um, at the the Royal Rumble 2020, so like right before the pandemic, and she'd been, you know, not wrestling for a while. And when she came back, like she went fully viral um, and, you know, black wrestling Twitter and, um, Twitter in general, um, you know, was just like, oh my God, who is this woman? Like we love her. Um, but unfortunately WWE for whatever reason just hasn't, um, you know, strapped the rocket to her back, unfortunately, even though she is, um, you know, a star of Total Divas, she has, um, released singles. And as you can see from that, um, article, she has some really interesting and progressive ideas around, um, you know, women's wrestling and the representation of that. So I would really like to see her like finally get sort of her due. Um, so we'll see what happens there. Um, in terms of, um, yeah, the, the women McMahons. Um, (laughs) I mean, where do you want to start? Like you kind of said it all with the fact that Linda was, um, you know, in the, in the Trump cabinet. Um, she, she left that position, um, a couple of years ago to run the super PAC for Trump's reelection, um, which ended up, um, she gave money to the governor of, um, Florida to keep, uh, WWE in operation. So wrestlers were classed as essential workers during the pandemic, which is what allowed WWE to stay in operation, which I mentioned before, um, which I don't think that they should be, especially when shows like Glow are cancelled because they claim that they can't safely run a wrestling show, yet wrestling is running during a pandemic. But anyway, mm. yeah, I actually write about um, Stephanie. There's a chapter kind of devoted to her and her kind of, you know, fake feminism or like white feminism, I guess you would call it, you know, how she she could sort of be seen as a um a figurehead for that, like, let's get more women on boards where, you know, women of colour in like health and um service industries get paid, you know, this many cents on the dollar of like a white man or whatever. So yes, it's an interesting topic. Um to look at through the framework of, um, yeah, these relations to the um, most powerful man in wrestling, um, but not necessarily a um, wholly progressive one. Mm. Well, the last question I want to ask you really is where you start, um, you enter into the picture, which is not just as a writer, but a fan. And you just said, you know, the audience is also changing. And I wanted to end by asking you, you know, what are those demographic changes happening in terms of wrestling fans? Um, what is it like to be a, a, a woman who, and a progressive woman who's fan of wrestling? And for those people who want to know why you love the sport, why do you come back to it? Can you tell us what made you fall in love with wrestling and, and what keeps you coming back despite all the bullshit? Mm, that's a question I ask myself every day. <laughs> um, I I don't know. I mean, like the the um the prologue to the book is entitled "Women's Wrestling Fans Are Suckers for Punishment," and you know I still believe that's true. Um, I think it's just a matter of that we we want it to be and we believe it can be better. Um, that's all I can say. Um, regarding that, um. 
you know, as I mentioned before, like I got into wrestling 2001. Um, so that was probably like just the tail end of the attitude era. Um, and so, you know, while women were like portrayed in their underwear a lot, like I'm thinking of people like China and Lita, they were also portrayed as like really strong and um, being able to go, you know, toe to toe with the men. And I write about that in a chapter on intergender wrestling, which is men wrestling women, although, you know, it could be any gender. But as we said before, like, you know, the, the gender makeup of the WWE is is cisgender men and, and cisgender women. Um, you know, so so even though some of the portrayals of women when I first got into wrestling and indeed today are, you know, problematic, I, you know, I was able to grasp onto those um, more subversive portrayals of women. I also think, um, you know, I sort of stopped re- watching wrestling for a few years between um, 2010 and about 2013 or 14. Um, and during that time, I started, you know, reading a lot of feminist blogs. Um, I started writing about feminism. Um, you know, I think I had always been a feminist, but I just, um, you know, was able to reading those things to, um, you know, have the tools to actually name that, um, as my, you know, belief system. And so coming back into wrestling with that mindset, um, was, you know, really valuable. And it just so happened to be coinciding with the women's evolution. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, a twin kind of evolution of both my feminism and, feminism in wrestling, I guess you could say, um, which has been an exciting but frustrating um, journey. And um, I I think a lot of other women and minorities uh, who are wrestling fans would probably feel the same. Mm. Well, if somebody was looking to get started, get into wrestling, first and foremost, Check out Scarlett's book, A Diva Was a Female Version of a Wrestler, an abbreviated history of world wrestling entertainment. Um, If you were to say, hey, first, check out my book, and B, here's where I would start. What events are coming up in the horizon that you would point people to? I, unfortunately, I usually only watch WWE, so I and and I'm not like I'm not sure if I would recommend that <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, so, but there are heaps of other um, you know wrestling um, companies on TV. Again, I'm not 100% sure that their, you know, portrayal of women's wrestling is like where we would want it to be, but those companies are AEW and Impact. Um, Impact um, has a really good um, women's division as well. Um, That's probably where they're strongest um, and that's their um, reputation like has sort of been women's wrestling, even when WWE was, you know, dropping the ball on it. Um, And then AEW um, is kind of like the new kid on the block. They started up a couple of years ago and, um, you know, are seen as direct competition to WWE. Recently they had um, 
a really cool match. Um, it was a women's hardcore match. So a hardcore match is where you can use like, um, you know, weapons. Um, and when I say weapons, um, like chairs, thumbtacks, things like that, not mm. uh, like actual weapons, um, <laughs> God forbid. And um, there was a kind of a viral uh, moment that came out of that match, which was Britt Bennett, one of the competitors in the match, um, with blood just streaming down her face and into her eyes. And she was just like, maniacally grinning and um I saw that you know viral image on Twitter and I was like all right I have to go and check out this match so um (laughs) you know again I think like any like women's wrestling is the bright spot of like any um wrestling company so like whatever whatever people are looking for I think they will find it in women's wrestling lovely well Scarlett thank you so much for joining us on burn it all down a diva was a female version of a wrestler is out now please check it out um and thanks thanks Amira this was great